and the casting process is crazy. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar, but you have to go in for five interviews. They do these things where they bring you into a room and all the producers are sitting there and they don't tell you there's like 30 people in the room and they just fire questions at you. Jesus. Yeah, I want to make you really uncomfortable really quickly. And then you have to talk to psychologists. You have to get your blood work done to make sure that you don't have any diseases. Welcome into the podcast, episode 12 of Living Large. Guys, you can get exclusive access to Living Large on the app CastBox. If you guys are watching on my YouTube right now, I'm holding up the mug. I post it there every morning on Wednesdays at 6 a.m. PST first. So just head over to the App Store and download CastBox and hit that subscribe button. Damn it. Today's guest, some girls may recognize him from The Bachelor, Robert Graham. Welcome onto the show. Hey, hey, what's going on? Not too much, man. Uh, we became friends this year. Yeah, uh, through Coachella. Yep. What a way to become friends. Yeah, that was a that was a fun one this year. Yeah, but uh, before that, let's talk about your journey. You yeah. uh, you were on The Bachelor, bro. I was. I was on The Bachelorette. Oh, The um, Bachelorette. So yeah. that means you were in a pool of guys mm-hmm. trying to fall for this girl. Who was the girl? Yeah, I was one of 25. Uh, her name was Desiree. What up, Desiree? How you doing? You could have been with this man, but you chose not to be. <laughs> She's actually married with a couple kids now. so I think Sorry about that, Desiree. <laughs> <laughs> so what was that like? It was cool, man. I uh, I was living in L.A. I'd just broken up with my girlfriend, and uh, my best friend from back home's girlfriend was obsessed with the show. And as all, all girls are. Yeah, as all girls yeah. are. I mean, my... You know, my, my stats on Instagram are still like 95% female. It's crazy. <laughs> um, but she reached out and she said, hey, I got I to gotta submit you for the show. And I, I had never honestly seen the show. I knew what it was, obviously. Right, right. Everybody kind of knows what it is. But, you know, I just said, sure, yeah, go ahead. Um, there's probably tens of thousands of people getting submitted to this thing every single day. So I wasn't really expecting much. Um, long story short, they called me in. I went through the, through the first interview, didn't hear anything for like two and a half months. So I just assumed that yeah, yeah, it fell through. Yeah, it fell through. It wasn't going to happen. And then they called me back and, and, and said, Hey, we're really sorry. We got you very early on in the casting process, but want you to come back in. And the casting process is crazy. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar, but you have to go in for five interviews. Um, they, they do these things where they bring you into a room and all the producers are sitting there and they don't tell you there's like 30 people in the room and they just fire questions at you. Jesus. Yeah. want to make you really uncomfortable really quickly. Um, and then you have to talk to psychologists. You have to get your blood work done to make sure that you don't have any diseases. What? Yeah. They do a full background check on you. It's wild, man. Whoa. Yeah. So, uh, it's, it's a long process. And then, uh, and then they called me and said, Hey, we, we'd like you to be on the show. And, and, and that was it. Um, I accepted and, and I had a really, really crazy, awkward experience actually on the, on the first episode of that show. Why? What was the, what happened? You get some drama? No, this is wild, man. So I, <laughs> I, I'm, we're, you know, we're in a hotel room. They stick you in a hotel room for like three days before you go on the show. Cause they want you to just be isolated and be thinking only about that. So I'm sitting in this hotel room for three days. I'm getting excited. I'm like, this is going to be great. You know, I'm going to have this opportunity to meet this girl. Um, you know, Which we'll get into. I have so many questions about this. Yeah, and, and like <laughs> y- you go on understanding that hey, listen, it, there's a very slim shot that we're we're probably gonna you know work out or get along, but still, it's it'll probably be a cool experience, get to travel mm-hmm. around the world, et cetera, et cetera. So, anyways, I'm in the limo on the way to the to the house after this three day stint in the hotel room, and we're you know taking a couple shots in the limo. And, uh, with and a bunch of other dudes or just you? five other guys, okay, okay. five other guys in the limo. You're about to meet her for the first time. First time. Yeah. Okay. So you pull up to the house, they prep you. She's standing there. There's cranes, lights everywhere. Producers. Full all, production. Full production. I mean, no joke. I'm, I'm in the limo shaking. I'm and they so haven't nervous. filmed you up to this point. 
no, this is the first time you're being filmed. With lots of fucking pressure. Lots of pressure. I mean, <laughs> it, you, you get out and you're like, shit, this is this is crazy because there's lights and people everywhere. And she's standing there. She's super nervous too. I mean, you know, all the all the attention's on her. Right. So anyways, the first four guys walk out. I'm the last guy to walk out of the limo. And I, <laughs> I start walking up to her and she looks at me and she goes, hey, I know you. What? And I stop and I'm like, I don't think so. And she's like, no, I definitely know you. You're Robert. And I go, huh, well, this is this is awkward. And I'm like, how do you know me? And she was like, you dated my best friend, Jessica. <laughs> I swear to you, it's the worst case scenario that could ever happen on this show. And Wait, she says this on live TV? On live, like as I'm walking up to her, like halfway there. She's like, you dated, well, I, she says, I know you halfway there. And I get up. And yeah. The producers are all looking around like, what's going on? I have no idea what's happening. And I didn't know what was happening. I'm like, Jessica. And uh, so what happened was when I moved to L.A., um, like two years prior, I went to this charity event and these two girls approached our table and started talking to me and my friend. One of the girls was Desiree and the other girl was this girl, Jessica. <laughs> Jessica and I exchanged numbers. We went out a couple of times and, and she ended up moving over to Miami um, and I hadn't seen her in, you know, like a year. But I didn't remember the encounter that night meeting Desiree right, it was and just Jessica. Couple dates. Yeah, it was yeah. like a couple of dates. It wasn't really, a, you know, a big thing. Um, but I think she got a little pissed off that I, I didn't remember who she was and that I dated her her roommate and best friend and, and didn't really piece so those two things together. So he's off to a terrible start. Dude, I went into the house and all the guys are sitting there drinking, having a great time, excited. And I sit on the couch and I put my hands in my head and I'm just like, what the fuck? Just I, I, The odds of this happening, that this girl got cast. Has that ever happened before? No, the producers were just like, this has never happened before where a guy didn't remember meeting the lead prior to going on the show. And you have to think about it, the odds of that happening, her getting cast for The Bachelor, going through that whole process, getting cast as The Bachelorette, my friend submitting me for that season not knowing that this girl is even on the show, and then me walking up to her a year later, and she's like, hey, I met you, and you, you know, it's, my it's, best I feel like it's such a slap in the face for her, because it's like, she remembered you, yeah. so she's like, you're like, obviously, yeah, I stood out to you, <laughs> yeah. but like, you didn't remember her, so I she know. was probably like, fuck this guy oh, off the bat. she was so pissed. She, oh, uh, man. she kept me around for a couple episodes, but I mean, I knew right from there that it was, it was not going to be a good thing. That's very interesting. Cause to me, I would have kept you around if it were me. Cause yeah. I knew you. Yeah. Like I felt like I knew you already. So mm -hmm. it was like a little more comfortable, you know, like, Oh, I'll keep him around. So like, if I ever feel uncomfortable, yeah. like I'll just chill with Robert. I know. I know. It was interesting. And you know, what was even more interesting is I was freaking out when they, when they were about to air the season. Cause they don't tell you what's going to be on, on the show. So I'm sitting there and I'm thinking episode one's going to be a disaster. Like they're going to they show cut it? everything. They cut it all. They didn't Stop. show any of it. Yeah. Why? That's so good. So the one of the producers, I, I asked her a month or two later and she, she said that the reason that they cut it was they didn't want to portray the most eligible girl or the bachelorette in the country at the time as being forgettable. So oh, that was kind of so exactly like, what I just said. Right. Yeah. That was kind of the reasoning. They didn't want her to think that, you know, this guy had met her and just forgot who she was. And, and so that was the reason that they cut it. But uh, that's such a funny story, dude, though. It was the worst. I was so I, it, I just was sitting there like, how did this happen? Like the odds are like one in a hundred million of me going on. The right. Show and Is she from L.A.? She was from like Seattle or somewhere. And yeah, she just lived in L.A. She was in L.A. for a brief period of time. And uh, I think was, you know, just like working out here and, and, and got cast on the show. And one thing led to another. And we ran into each other when I was walking wow. out of the limo. <laughs> Shout out Desiree. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wow.
Wow. Brutal. That's a great start to this Brutal. podcast, though. Yeah, I good. love that story because yeah. I was like, I was into it. Yeah. Maybe this is why girls like The Bachelor because shit like this goes down. It's crazy, man. Tell me about that process do you guys get paid first of all to be on there so the first the first show that that you do when you go on to the bachelor or bachelorette you do not get paid but then with the summer show that they have now which is uh bachelor in paradise i actually did season one of that and they paid us per episode of of that okay so so to meet desiree you uh-huh. don't get paid at all none don't of get you paid guys. at all no so so here's my question when and i know someone that was on the bachelor a mm-hmm. girl and when I spoke to her about this, because I was so interested in the show, because like for me, it's like you gamify love. Yeah. Like you you don't just do that. Mm-hmm. You know, like who in their right mind, twenty five guys are, are going to compete for this girl that they've never even met before. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense to me. It's crazy. But the funny thing about it is, is I know people go on, um, you know, obviously with the social media stuff and everything going on in that world right now, there's a huge opportunity to make a lot right, of money. Right. But if you look at the past seasons and, and I went in with the same thoughts, you know, I was like, there's a one in a million chance I'm going to get along with this girl well enough to where we end up together and are married and engaged. But if you look at the past three or four seasons, there's couples that come off that show. And I think like 80% of them have kids and are married and, it's just, it's mind boggling. But you want to know why? And this is my personal opinion. I, there's going to be a lot of people that disagree with this. With the social media stuff now, you can make so much money as a couple because this, oh, this audience yeah. is fanatical. I mean, they're they're crazy about watching this dream scenario, this yeah, love yeah. scenario unfold. And then when you do get off the show, if you stay together, they just follow. Like they're they're wild. Like they they're very dedicated to that. So these couples that end up together after the show they make a ton of money on social media being together. So there's right. an incentive to kind of stay together. It and becomes I think a they, business. Right. Too. And I, I think they get to know each other a little bit more through that. And, you know, I, I know a couple of the couples now personally really, really well. And they, they are fully in love with each other. But I think it takes time because you're not going to f- figure that out in six weeks on the show. Right, with right. Producers everywhere. Like you have to go into the real world and figure this out. And now with the, the social media craze that's going on, they can come off the show and make huge amounts of money, travel the world, have this amazing lifestyle. And it's just this really nice setup that you get if you if you go all the way. It's just so far fetched to me because how can you do, do the producers, do they cast you or do they cast people based on who they think she would like? So they cast people based on who they think she would like. But also it's a TV show, right? So right. they have to cast the really drunk guy on night one. They have to cast the guys that are going to be starting shit with the other guys in the house. You know, they have to cast the three or four or five guys that they think are actually going to end up or have a chance with this girl. And uh, and it happens every season. If you watch the show, every single season is identical. I mean, yeah, yeah. all the same, same stuff plots, typically yeah. unravels. Um, it's just new people. So they, they know what they're doing in the casting process. Are the casters like matchmakers, like professional matchmakers, or are they just literally casting directors? Honestly, I think they're casting directors and they have it down to such a science now. They know everything about you. You have to take like a four hour written test and answer a million different questions. So they know everything about you. And then with the background checks and t- talking to the psychologists and, and really digging deep into your past and into your life, they know if you like to drink, if you're out of control, like if you've had past relationships, they know all this stuff going in. So, But they don't know if you've met the bachelorette. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one thing they don't know is if you met, met her a year earlier. And dated, dated her, her friend. Best friend. <laughs> Dude, that's absolutely insane. I don't know how, I, I don't know. The, the only thing I can't really like get is like, why would I want to compete with these dudes for this girl yeah i mean i think in all honesty if i'm being truthful again i think a lot of the people that they cast from from around the country 
are are probably looking for an experience of some sort. Yeah. You know, they're they're maybe working nine to fives or you know, doing whatever it is they're doing back home. And this is an opportunity for them to go and experience something that they've never experienced before. I mean, you travel all over the world, you know, there's obviously huge opportunities after you get off if you do well. Um, so I think, you know, in the early stages of this show, it was, it was a little bit different. You know, they, they, they got the, the, the publicity and, 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 you know, attention, but there wasn't this whole social media craze after it kind of just died off really quickly. So now, um, you know, I think it's a it's a wider. It's definitely changed with social media being in the game Dude, because it's a total game changer. If you get on The Bachelor now, you can become famous. You can come make a career out of this. Mm-hmm. But was social media even big when you were on it? So I kind of hit the 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 end of of that era. Right when I got off was when social media was starting to become a thing. So nobody was on social media making any real money. You know, four right. or five years ago, they were like Kim Kardashian was doing brand deals on Twitter. Right, uh, right. But there was no Instagram and YouTube. Uh, platforms with with influencers where they were making content and making you know a ton of money. So you made a good point. A lot of people were like looking for the experience. The nine to f- they're like with the nine to five jobs. Yeah, and I think that makes a good story. It's like oh he's a trash can or he's a garbage man. Exactly. He's on the Bachelor trying to get this beautiful girl. Mm-hmm. What did your occupation say when you were on there? <laughs> so this is another crazy story. Uh, I was in college and and my friends from San Diego started the sign spinning company called Aero Advertising. And uh, I brought it over to Arizona, and uh, we were kind of the inventors of sign spinning. We actually opened up like 20. Sign spinning? Yeah. Have you seen the guys that spin the signs on the corners? Like at Quiznos? They're like, hey, subs this way. They're, yeah, kind of. But what, we turned it into an actual business. So we had spin instructors. We had classes. We would bring them out to parks and teach them all these crazy <laughs> tricks. Is this real life? <laughs> this is real life. It's called Aero Advertising. Look it up. It's crazy. <laughs> we're, we franchised the company, and we're in uh, like 28 states and like 19 countries. To teach people how to spin a sign on their hand. Yeah, man. Teach people how to spin a sign. Wow. It's wild. So so what did your occupation say? I think it said... Uh, An invent- advertiser? Inventor of sign spinning. No. I swear to you. <laughs> I swear. Oh, my gosh. It's oh, crazy. Hi, I'm Arusha Pires, host of a new podcast called Investing with IBD. Here are a few snippets from the conversations that we're having. Facebook, you know, it's coming back. I was really treating it as a counter trend kind of stock. You have these really fast moving stocks. You want to have a little bit slower moving stocks yeah, also definitely. in your portfolio. What Bill observed after sitting through many market corrections is that the market will come down, but you need to wait a few days and see if there's going to be continued power. And that's where he came up with the follow through day concept. One of the most interesting things is, you know, utilities have actually been very, very strong over the last 52 weeks. The work that we've done on yield curve inversion suggests that after the yield curve inverts, over the next year, utility performance is actually not that good. Come join the conversation on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. What was the most difficult thing being on the show? I mean, walking up and knowing the girl that you're supposed to fall I, in love I understand with, that, but like pretty difficult. with other dudes, was it was it real drama or was it stage drama? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, they they edit kind of how they want right, the story right. to unfold. They manipulate in the edit. Yeah, so you can be sitting there like you and I could be having a conversation and, and we're talking about anything. And I say, man, that sucks. And they'll take that little snippet and, and plug it into something else or ask you a million questions the same way until they get the right response. So... For example, like if John was out on a, a, a date with Desiree, they'd sit me down and go, hey, Robert, what do you think about John being on a date with Desiree? And you're like, oh, John's cool. You know, good guy. And they're like, really? 
you uh you're okay with this guy dating dating the girl that that you're trying to be with and you're like yeah he's you know it's fine whatever and they're like huh, that's not what he said about you and you're like oh really and that you they just oh. ask you like a million questions until you're like john sucks you know yeah. he's the worst so i heard something from someone else that they're very it was similar to what you just said how they'll just like take a, a response from something else and then pl- and splice it in mm-hmm. but they would since they do do these extensive background checks they would bring up shit that they knew would make you cry. Oh, yeah. So if they wanted you to cry, they'd be like, "So like, did it suck for you? You weren't there. You weren't there when your grandpa died. Yeah. And like, they make you feel bad about your life. Yeah. I mean, they'll they'll pretty much do whatever it takes to get emotion out of you. And and also, they got in trouble for this recently. But the alcohol, alcohol around there flows like water. Right. I mean, right. You can have as much as you want at any given time. And they don't, they don't say, Hey, you know, stop drinking or whatever. They, they obviously want you to get as drunk as possible. Cause then you say stupid stuff on it. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, they know everything about you so they can, they can kind of poke at you and say things to, to start bringing out that emotion. Wow. That's very interesting. Yeah. If you guys are fans of the bachelor, the bachelorette, it's a, it's a show. It's a game. Yeah. <laughs> it's so crazy. Cause it's like a diehard fan fandom. Like my mom watches that shit. My sister, like my whole family, they it, just love it. It's unreal. When I got off the show, I was with my friend Graham, who was also on the show with me, the second one that we did. And we got booked for this appearance up in Canada. And it was the first time that I had been booked on, you know, an appearance to show up. And I'm like, this is so stupid. Like, why am I getting brought yeah, up yeah. here for this? And he's like, just wait. And we get up to this, we, we pull up to this, um, this like club that they had rented out for the, for the appearance. And there was four of us. And we got out and Canada is a huge fan base of the show. We got out and there was 300 girls freaking out. I mean, crying, screaming out front of this place, just waiting for us to walk, walk past. And then when we went inside, it was, it was, I mean, like 500, 600 people that they had sold tickets to, to come just like hang out with us. And in that moment I was like, man, this is wild. This show has such a crazy fan base. That's nuts. Yeah. It's not a bad gig. You know, you got a bunch of girls screaming out there for you. (laughs) Yo, guys, I interrupt this podcast to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Vistaprint. Shout out to Vistaprint, guys. They actually printed the mugs that we use and also my business cards. Uh, There's something really cool about handing someone a business card when you meet them. And Vistaprint and I are hooking you guys up with $9.99 business cards, 500 of them if you guys use the code large at vistaprint.com. That's $9.99 for 500 business cards. You guys can make your own designs. You can have them make the designs for you. Uh, It's super, super simple. You can pick the paper. And the cool thing about Vistaprint, guys, is they use one of the the best inks and they use the best stock. You can pick any kind of stock that you want to to have on your business card. I think it's really cool to have a business card because it's something tangible. It's something you can give someone uh, on first meeting them rather than putting in their phone and they forget it. You just give them that business card. They throw it in their wallet and it it speaks a lot about a person. It it shows that you're professional. I myself use business cards for living large when I meet people and I say, hey, yo, you should be on my podcast. Here's my business card. Uh, That's how I've gotten a few of my guests actually. Uh, as I mentioned, you guys can upload your own design or start with one of the professionally designed options. Uh, there's simple tools and wide range of templates to choose from. You can pick the paper stock, the style, the quantity that's right for you. Choose your delivery speed, order and receive your card in as uh, few as three days. Uh, your satisfaction 100% guaranteed or they'll make it right either by reprinting your stock or you can get a refund from them. Uh, and as I said, guys, 500 business cards for $9.99 for using the code large at checkout at Vistaprint. That's a lot of business cards. That's a lot of business. and That's a lot of money you going to make.
So yeah, guys, that's right. Vistaprint wants you to do something great for your business right now, which is why our listeners will get up to 500 high-quality custom business cards starting at $9.99. Use that code large at vistaprint.com. That's code large at vistaprint.com. Large at vistaprint.com. Get your money, baby. But uh, before that, you said you were into the sign spinning. Uh-huh. Um, you went to college. What did you go to college for? I went to school for uh, business. I went to the uh, business school at Arizona State. Okay, so you, you went into science spinning, then you did the bachelor. After the bachelor, that opened a little uh, more opportunities for you with social media. So what? You, so you started Vamped. What is Vamped? Yeah, Vamped. So Vamped is a, is an advertising agency. We work mainly, actually exclusively on social media. And uh, we have a talent management side of the, the company where we manage people that are on social media. You know, some of them, like Mads, uh, who's a DJ and, and, and social media talent. And then we, we focus really heavily on brand work. So we just do a lot of branded stuff and, and a lot of travel and tourism. So we work with hotel groups and, and uh, tourism boards, which is kind of an interesting thing now that social media is so huge. We've really leveraged that to be able to travel around the world and go to these crazy exotic places and bring a ton of people and, and really great content creators and, and stay in these five-star resorts and work with these uh, you know tourism boards to shoot unbelievable content from like helicopters and so so how does this work how does how does the company itself make money in the sense of like you're giving other you give them brand deals or you get these free trips you get in these resorts you're obviously not paying for it but how is the company itself making money yeah so so basically the way it works is our company is it, the the comp- the brands and companies that we work with rely on us to um book and shoot their campaigns. So we do a lot of content creation. Um, we do a lot of short form content, uh, commercial content. Um, and then we work with everybody across social media. So if, if a brand like Boohoo, for instance, who's a women's fashion line, um, you know, wants to do a trip to Las Vegas and book out eight social media talents and have two Instagram posts, two Instagram stories with swipe ups, you know, 15 second, 30 second video cut. We, we book all of that. We set up the trip. Logistics are all taken care of by us. We do the shoots on site and, and deliver them the content. And typically the way we do it is on a monthly basis. So we just we just work with a lot of different clients um, in that space and, and shoot all their content, book a lot of their talent, do all of their social media posts and handle all that stuff for, for So you're them. curating. So Boohoo doesn't have to say, hey, I want this influence. This, they just reach out to you. Hey, guys, we have this budget. Take these people to this trip, promote mm-hmm. our product. Is yeah, that how exactly. it works, essentially? Yeah, and, and it's not only trips. We do a lot of stuff locally, but... That is, yeah, that's kind of how it works for the trip side of the business. And last week on the show, I had Ayla on. She's she's in, yeah. been on some trips. I've been on a trip, yeah, uh, to Coachella. <laughs> yeah. Um, how do you do? Do you reach out as a company to other to brands and say, hey, we want to do this? Would great be great to have your brand attached, or is it more so brands reach out to Vamped, Vamped then curates what they want? A little bit of both. So we have some uh, some pretty big clients that we've been working with for years um, that we you know, just have on a retainer. And then we do reach out to a lot of different brands. Um, our, our, our account management team reaches out to brands and just tries to bring new clients on board on a pretty consistent basis. Um, so yeah, a little bit of both, but, uh, you know, I, I would say we, we focus mainly on like the bigger people that we've been working with for years. How would you say the industry has shifted since the bachelor into social media, into the, into the vamped world? Man, it's wild. Um, it, it was one of those things where we didn't really know what we were getting into four or five years ago when we started the company and didn't know where it was going to go. we just kind of had a hunch that the social landscape was going to grow, but I didn't, I didn't really foresee it getting to the point that it's at now. Cause you know, a lot of these rates and a lot of things that are happening on social media are really, really high, but it, it makes sense in my opinion for certain brands to work with certain individuals that are getting, you know, like yourself, millions of views on your videos, which is outperforming 
most of the TV shows. Right, right. Um, you know, you're 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 engaged you're engaged with your audience who is highly curated. You know where they're located, their age groups, um, their genders, all that stuff is 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 on your back end and your analytics. Um, so it, it makes sense to me. And, and the way that the the platforms have grown, YouTube and Instagram, it's just it's just become this marketplace and this platform for really good content creators to kind of rise to the top. Um, and I think everybody else is, there's a million different influencers out there now, but I think a lot of the other people are, are kind of falling by the wayside and, and, and the, the, the real people are, uh, are growing and are going to continue to grow, but it's going to be interesting, man. Like, I don't know what the next platform is. Uh, the guys that just, that founded Instagram just left. So right, right. It'd be interesting there's been some issues see. with Instagram going on lately with yeah, algorithms and people. It's a lot of, here. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of, it's very stressful. It's crazy. <laughs> I mean, it's people's livelihoods it and is. business, you know? Yeah. And it's controlled by an application, which you yeah. can't control. So it's very frustrating for, I mean, obviously I've had my own struggles and like I talk to people in the industry and they're all dealing with the same shit right yeah. now. Uh, algorithms, algorithms, algorithms. That's just all you ever hear. Um, what's, what's, what's been the biggest struggle I would say in your life? In my life? In terms of business. Man. In terms um, of entrepreneurialism, social media, the I mean, bachelor, the, whatever. There's been a couple of struggles, man. I, I've, I've always been kind of on the the entrepreneurial side where I've wanted to start and, and grow my own businesses. And there's been a lot, not a lot, but there's been a few pretty big failures in that. Um, I opened up a restaurant in Arizona, uh, shortly after I graduated from college, ran that for about a year, lost a ton of money, had no idea what I was doing in that space. You know, I wasn't in the food space. I just figured I could hire a bunch of people and they would run right. it for me. Um, so that was a catastrophe. Well, what, what was, what did you learn? What was your learning experience there? Um, I think the learning experience there was to, uh, not rush into something just because you think you have a, a great idea. You know, it's interesting. I've always said in my head, like, Oh, why don't I just use my money and open up a restaurant? That's easy as fuck. Worst idea ever. Why? Just because, I mean, if you look at the statistics, when you open up a restaurant or a bar, I think the failure rates at like 96%. And the reason for that is because people look at this industry and they think, okay, I, I see these bars and these restaurants that are cranking and, and they're doing really, really, really well. But you have to be an owner operator for one, when you're starting your own restaurant from the get go, you're going to have to be there like 16 hours a day, seven days a week. If you want it to go, um, I didn't factor in like food, spoiling, um, deliveries, employees, stealing, um, you know, all this stuff factors into your bottom line. So, and it's just really stressful. Um, there's a huge turnover, like a really high turnover rate with people working for you. If they're not happy, if they get a better offer, if there's something else going on, they kind of just leave and, and take another position. So uh, there was just a lot of growing pains in that. And at the end of the day, um, I didn't want to sit in a restaurant for 15 hours a day for the next five years. So I, I just kind of took my losses on that one and left. But if I were to do it all over again, I would probably just invest in somebody that has done it and proven their model to work, uh, you know, with multiple restaurants and, 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 and do it that way rather than trying to go in and, and do it all on my own. Um, but I just think do your research, man, like you have to, you have to understand the business inside and out and you have to be prepared to do what it takes to make it work. And if you're not, it's, it's for sure going to fail. What, uh, what was another failure after that one you said? Uh, so I, I, uh, I also started a swim line, um, which was, sort of recent. It was a few years ago. And in that one I did my research on and I just made a couple mistakes. One of the mistakes that I regret is I, uh, I, I was outsourcing everything in China, like all the mm -hmm. materials in China, like everybody else does, you know, from the beginning. Um, but it was when the social media stuff was really going crazy. We had some really big wins with some other products that we'd been working with and working on. Um, so I, you know, I wanted to start our own thing that we owned hundred percent of and, and work with the same people that were having these massive wins. 
and um, and we decided to make our clothing inside of the United States in LA, which quadrupled our costs. Right. Um, in all honesty, like the, the 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 Chinese turned around the product much faster. The product was was the same quality, so we should have went that route. We decided to do it in LA because we thought it would have a cool spin and cool pitch. I mean, absolutely. I I think that's cool too. Made in the USA, buy in the USA, whatever. Yeah, I think it is too. But at but the end of the day, care. it proved yeah. not to really yeah. matter. Um, so we did that and I just spent too much on, on advertising and these people that I thought were going to convert really, really well for other products did not convert as well for this specific product. So, uh, uh, that was another one we didn't lose huge on that one, but it was, it was one of those things that it was going to take a long time to, to kind of correct and fix and grow. And we had just so many other things going on with the business that we decided to let it go. Um, and that's another thing, man. I think just focusing on one thing, if you're going to open up a business or start something, I think really just focusing all of your time and effort right. in on that and making sure it's great rather than trying to do like four things at once, which is something I've done a couple different times. And I think the reason that, that, that specific product, you know, didn't, didn't take off or didn't do as well as it could have. Yeah. I think my, one of my biggest difficulties is I have my eggs in so many baskets. Mm-hmm. I do YouTube videos. I do my podcast. I do music. I yeah. do Facebook, Instagram, like I'm, I'm just in a lot of baskets right yeah. now and it's, it's difficult and it's like, but, but in your world, how, how did you re- like handle those failures? Were you down? Were you? Yeah. I mean, I was bummed. Like, uh, you know, after the restaurant, I was, I was actually kind of relieved on that one cause I did not want to sit there anymore. And, and I was, I was willing to take my losses and just move on. But with the, with the swim line, you know, we had, we had really built an incredible website. We shot an amazing, uh, amount of content for it, had really great people working with us, um, had all the pieces in place to make it a really cool brand. It was just a couple minor mistakes that I had made personally that, that sunk it. So that one, it still bothers me to this day. And this was years ago. Um, but that one was, uh, was one of those things where I had to, had to take a, to some time and, and just, reflect and understand why I, I made some of the choices I made. And, and I feel like I got pushed in those directions by other people. And I should have just went with my gut and said, okay, I'm not listening to you. I'm going to make these, you know, these swimsuits out of China, at least to start and, mm-hmm. and, and cut our costs, you know, by like 75%. And I think we tried to rush getting them out a little early, earlier than we should have there. So there's just some things that I didn't go with my gut and I didn't trust myself on. And I let other people kind of steer me in the, in in a different direction. And, uh, I wish I could go back and and just do what I wanted to do from the get go and and stick with the plan. That's one thing too, that I've, I, I mean, obviously I don't want to sit here and blame other people, but at the same time, like when I first started making videos, I was, everything was my gut, you know, my gut is instinct. What do I want to title it? What do I want to make the thumbnail, all this stuff. And then when I started to get bigger, it was like, I started to value other people's opinions and like, see what, Hey, what do you think? What do you think? And then I feel like I lost my voice and kind of just started to listen to other people rather than myself. Yeah. And that can get you in trouble and, Mm -hmm. and mentally can get you in trouble too. Cause then you start to blame other people and you start to not take accountability, I guess at the same time. Um, how did you overcome those, those failures? I just bounced back and started putting my head down and grinding on the things that, that were really positive in my life. So the, the agency was going really well. You know, we were doing a lot of really fun things and, and working with a lot of really great people. So just, uh, just went back into that world and, and decided to focus all of my time and effort and energy on that and, and grow that, that business and, uh, and not try to do 10 million other things at once and start 10 million other companies. So that was kind of how I, I, I decided to get over that one is, is really just go back into what I was doing that I was really good at and that I really enjoy what we do. Um, I think the other side projects were were things that aligned well with with a lot of the people that we worked with, but I don't think we were really passionate about the the actual products that we were making. We were just kind of making them to make money and, and hoping that they would do really well. So, uh, you know, just getting back into things that I enjoyed and, and, and trying to trying to stay balanced with with work and 
friends and and doing stuff to take your mind off the the huge failure that just happened. Right, I think that's important. <laughs> I think it's you. You definitely have to weigh in on the things that you enjoy doing. Yeah, hundred percent. Because like, if you're not in it for to be in it, and you're just doing it because like. Like that was me with my merch. It was like I started this merch just because I knew everyone was doing merch. Yeah. And I was like, damn, I got to capitalize on this while everybody mm-hmm. else is. And I wasn't in it. Like I didn't like the designs. I didn't mm-hmm. like the quality of the product. And like it bothered me because I wasn't passionate about it. Yeah. And I think it's important to stick to the things that you're passionate about, which is like why I started my podcast. Like I like talking. I like mm-hmm. communicating. I like hosting and my vlog and stuff. And yeah, it's important to do to love what you do because why would you wake up every day and do something you don't want to do? Yeah. And I mean, I think that translates with your audience too, right? Like if you're putting out a shitty product that you're not really happy about, they could tell, yeah, they can tell. And you're not, you're not really promoting it. You don't, you don't have a hundred percent behind it because you know, like you're not fully on board and, and you think it's shit yourself. So why, why waste your time doing that? And if you're passionate about, you know, broadcasting, podcasting, hosting, it translates with the audience. They can tell, and you, you put together a much better product. And from there, you know, you can grow it and, and eventually the money will come um, and you enjoy doing it. So you're not wasting right. all your time on something that sucks that you're not really happy about. And that will probably inevitably fail anyway. What uh, What's in the future for you? What do you have planned? What's your goal in life? How old are you now? 34. 34 years old. What's your goal? You living in Los Angeles? Yeah, man. Living in Los Angeles. Things are going actually really good. On the work side of stuff, we, we just launched our VAMP digital side, which is cool. Um, we're developing mobile apps for influencers to monetize their fan base. Going back to the algorithm, you know, a lot of people and a lot of things that we've been hearing over the last couple months and, and, and you know, year is, is these algorithms on these platforms are really killing, killing my, you know, engagement, yeah, yeah. my brand deals and all this stuff. So we, we developed... Uh, a side of our business that allows the creators to take hold of their entire audience. There's no algorithms involved. Um, they can promote themselves. They can push out this really, you know, amazing behind the scenes content. There's trip giveaways. There's a lot of really cool stuff integrated into these personalized apps. Uh, we just rolled out our first one four or five days ago with Charlie Jordan, who's uh, who's killing it. It's doing really, really well. So we're gonna we're gonna grow that side of the business. Bring some more people on on there. Um, so we have some big plans on the digital side and, and the agency side, uh, with vamped. Um, and then just, man, living, living a good life. Like I, I think one of the things that we've done with vamped is positioned ourselves to work with really cool people that we enjoy working with. And, and one of the big things for us was traveling the world and, and seeing a lot of really amazing places and working simultaneously. And we've been able to do that over the last four years and we want to continue to do that. Um, and, and just, have fun, live our best lives. Um, Living my best life. Live our best lives. That was actually, you know what's crazy? Like going down to Coachella with you guys. You guys put together the trip to Coachella was just absolutely, like you guys just want everyone to have a good time and enjoy what they're doing and working. That's what I love about Vamped. But how how do you manage, because a lot of your business centers around people having a good time, traveling, you know, going out, having fun. How do you manage like, business in that you know what i'm saying how do you not get caught up and like oh let's go get drinks tonight yeah. oh no i gotta stay home and work on my laptop while i'm in this five-star suite <laughs> yeah. looking at fucking all of greece you know, know what i'm saying like how can you not enjoy that but sit down how hard is that i know i think i think for us uh you know leading up to those trips is where 95 percent of the work takes place uh you know obviously solidifying all the contracts and setting up all, all the crap on the back end um so when we're on the trips we do get to kind of unplug and and take a break and have a good time and we have a really solid team now so we we've hired a lot of really great people and and have uh people that are working with us that are smart and and can take hold of of the stuff that we normally would be doing um but we've grown now so a little bit so they're they're kind of doing that stuff um 
so I mean, you know, just just being able to understand like a lot of the work's gonna go into setting these trips up, like that Coachella party, man. That took me like four months to set that Damn. thing up. It was crazy. That house was insanely expensive. Yeah, uh, you know, we had to have like 10, 15 brands come on board to cover cover our nut, and then we had twenty five people staying in the house. It was wild. Um, and I was stressed out actually that whole time at Coachella. That kind of even goes back to like the restaurant. Like you don't really know what you're getting into. Like you said, you have to pay for the rent. You have to pay. You have to get these brands on board to pay f- to hold the event. And then yeah. you have 25 people you have to feed. Yeah, man. You have like a lot of responsibilities yeah. in that. In that house, I mean, we we had to book that house three months before just to secure it because there's Victoria's Secret and these other huge brands coming in and picking up those houses. That house cost us 140 grand for four nights that we had to wow. shell out before we had a single brand sponsor. Which That's is insane. Crazy. You could literally, and the crazy thing about Coachella. If in Palm Springs, you could buy a mansion yeah. and pay it off just from Coachella I know, weekend. I know. Because brands will come in like yourself, Victoria's Secret or DJs and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And they'll just throw cash. cash. They'll pay your entire mortgage for like five years. For four nights. For four nights. I know. It's wild. It's crazy how much business Coachella brings crazy. to that community. And I've heard a million people say, I got to buy a house here and just rent it out. And it's not only Coachella. Coachella has two weekends. Weekend one, weekend two. And then, and then Stagecoach, Stagecoach is yeah. weekend three. So yeah, the move would have been to pick up a lot of real estate back there yeah. 10 years ago. Um, what's some advice you would give to the young entrepreneur? The young entrepreneur. I mean, the entrepreneur life is is one of a lot of ups and downs and you just have to be prepared for, you know, a lot of shit, uh, you know, failures, people telling you that it's not going to work. You hear this stuff over and over again. If you follow Gary Vee and, yeah. and these guys on social media, they tell it best, but I mean, if you really want to work on your own and do your own thing, you're going to have so many ups and downs. You're going to be grinding 24 seven. I mean, you work all the time. Yeah. You know, these guys that are in this world, in the social media world, you you see them and you see these videos and these pictures that they're putting up and you're like, oh, it's so easy. But you don't see the 10 hours, 12 hours a day that they're sitting around coming up with ideas, going places, collaborating with other individuals, editing, making sure their content's good enough, you know. And that's and that's something that goes back to what you said earlier cuz you said, yeah, it's a lot of money that these influencers get paid, but I think they deserve it, they earn 100%, it. 100%. Yeah. Because I here's how I look at it and I've said this on the podcast before, it's like I come up with the idea, I shoot the idea, I edit the idea, I put the idea out, I promote the idea. Mm. I'm I'm a five in one. I yeah. am the NBC. Obviously, I don't have the staff, sure, but I do all of the jobs that they do, and I do it every single day. Mm-hmm. And they're making millions and billions of dollars in advertising. Yeah. So why not have a company come like whatever boohoo and pay me thousands of dollars, which mm-hmm. they're paying millions to be on TV. Sure but I'm getting the same amount of viewership and I'm doing just as much work. Yeah, and I mean, I think, you know, the bigger brands and, and, and these people are understanding that and realizing now because you're seeing the shift from traditional media come over into the social space. Obviously, with the algorithms and everything that's happening, that that's kind of messing some things up. But, but yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, I see these content creators, like the real content creators like yourself and the Hannah Stockings of the world. They work all day, every yeah. day. I mean, it's nonstop. And you know, and people don't understand that. They see, they're like, oh, I could, yeah, like you said, I could do that. It's easy. <laughs> Good luck. They really don't grasp that it's a, it's more than a full-time job because yeah. I like, like when you have a, a, a nine to five, you go to work from nine to five, you come home, you mm-hmm. spend time with your family, you watch Netflix, whatever. Then you go to work nine to five. Like those are your hours. For me, it's like, okay, I'm working from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed. 
And like, I don't really get, I mean, I do get free time now more so than I did when I was daily vlogging, but back when I was daily vlogging, like it was just nonstop and it's exhausting. It's more than a nine to five. And even being a business owner and entrepreneur, that's, it's going to take more work than, you know, working for someone else. Way more work. And I mean, I don't, I, I, we talked about this before, but the, the everyday vlogging, I don't understand how you guys, I mean, I don't either. I work a lot, but I don't understand how you guys do Dude, that. I look it's back crazy. at it and I'm like, how the fuck did I do this? That's nuts. I would go insane. I, I, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I think most do at some no, point. No, yeah. Like a lot of us did. We're like, damn, like at some point it takes a toll on your brain. Cause you literally, it got to the point where I would wake up every single day and I couldn't think yeah. because I, I filmed a video every single day for like 300 or whatever. Yeah. And my creativity just went out the window. I just got comfortable. I started doing the same shit. Yeah. So that's when I had to like set back and say, okay, I need to take a break. I need to recharge. I need to like try to like live life and be creative. Yeah. Um, and but it, with, with the everyday stuff too, you know, what I see is, is you're putting out so much content and so many videos that you have to keep it relevant and exciting for your audience. So there's a lot of, you know, the clickbait stuff, like my girlfriend right, got right. hit by a car or, yeah. or like, you know, I got attacked by a bear today yeah. so that people are clicking on the videos. And I mean, just constantly pumping out that amount of content and editing and, and, and having, you know, the storyboards and, and the people to do it with you all day long is just so time consuming and so crazy. So I totally agree with you. I mean, you do see these content creators making a lot of money, but in all honesty, I think they should probably be making, making more with the, the audience that they've, they've commanded and, and built or that they do command and have built um, and and are able to reach on a daily basis. I mean, no, I agree. Crazy. And I like I know I like the steps you're making uh, with creating personalized apps for people because yeah. at the end of the day, like I said, like you have YouTube, you have Instagram, while they can change your life and make your life extremely great, they can also take that away from you mm-hmm. at any point in time. Um, if they do so happen to change algorithms or you swear and then they demonetize your video, sure. there's so many factors that go into it and there's so many guidelines that you need to adhere to. So something like it's, it's, it's obviously going to be way easier to build your following on a platform that everyone's using, but I think it's smart to, once you build that following on YouTube, once you build that following on Facebook, once you build that following on Instagram to translate that into how can I make this sustainable for myself Mm -hmm. where I don't have to rely on these apps or these brands to pay me. And it's a really good idea to make an exclusive website. Like it's, it's almost like Patreon it's, it's in people, people exactly. yeah. knock on Patreon. They're mm-hmm. like, it's begging for money. It's mm-hmm. begging your fans to pay you. But at the end of the day, I think you should get paid for the work that you do. Yeah. Right. And, mm-hmm. and, and every day you're creating content for an audience that doesn't pay you. Mm-hmm. Right. So none of your audience, they get to sit there and watch it for free. Um, and I think it's important to get paid. So it's cool to, to bring that audience up and then translate it over. Hey guys, giving you exclusive content. Yeah. Just pay like a little subscription, whatever. I don't know how you guys are working it. I definitely want to talk to you about about it more after this because it's interesting because like I said, no one pays to see the content that we produce, Mm -hmm. right? Except brands. And then you have to watch a 15 second ad or whatever. Sure. You're not taking money out of your pocket. And I think it's really like, imagine if, if, to subscribe to me forever, Mm -hmm. you had to pay a dollar. Right. It's just a dollar. Yeah, sure. It could change my life (laughs) you know what i'm saying and you're not having to wait for i mean the brand deals are great when they come in but who knows you know you don't know that's what i talked about on the last podcast you don't know you can go months months, making zero dollars i know and and that's stressful scary and when you're pump when you're pumping out that much content and putting that much time in i mean i i really do believe you deserve to get paid if you're building an audience that is interested in what you're doing and and the app allows you to not only put one thing that that we notice too is when you're on Instagram and YouTube, you only put out 
certain content, right? You're only going to put out the best content, you know, the stuff that you know is going to engage the highest with your audience to make your stats look great and grow and grow and grow. So with this, I, I think there's there's a little bit of both. You're putting out good content, but you're also able to showcase a lot of the behind the scenes stuff, a lot of the exclusive stuff that you necessarily wouldn't put on um, Instagram or YouTube that allows you to engage and, and become a little more personal with your audience, which is cool. And, 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 and I think there are a lot of people out there that understand, listen, I'm working all day long, I'm doing this stuff all day long, and I need some way to monetize other than hoping boohoo comes and pays me, you know, right. X amount of dollars this month. Right. No. Yeah. I think that's really cool guys. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, leave a, leave a thumbs up. Robert Graham, the ups and downs through your life. The, the most, the biggest failure of all time was his opening carpet walk on the bachelor. <laughs> but you know what? You've done good uh, since then. And I'm glad you're here. I'm glad we could be able to build a friendship. We got to hit up Vegas so we can buy Rolexes. Yeah, we tried last time. It, yeah, was it didn't a go too well. $10,000 goal for both of us. Yeah, and we both failed. So guys, <laughs> do not go to Vegas with the intent to win money. Go to Vegas with the intent to lose. We'll see you guys next week on Living Large. Deuces. Thank you for watching this Castbox original with Mark Donor. It's Living Large. Closing off. Hi, I'm Arusha Pires, host of a new podcast called Investing with IBD. Here are a few snippets from the conversations that we're having. Ah, Facebook, you know, it's coming back. I was really treating it as a counter trend kind of stock. You have these really fast moving stocks. You want to have a little bit slower moving stocks also in your portfolio. What Bill observed after sitting through many market corrections is that the market will come down, but you need to wait a few days and see if there's going to be continued power. And that's where he came up with the follow through day concept. One of the most interesting things is, you know, utilities have actually been very, very strong over the last 52 weeks. The work that we've done on yield curve inversion suggests that after the yield curve inverts over the next year, utility performance is actually not that good. Come join the conversation on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.